there and welcome to season 11 of the Bitcoin Takeover podcast. I am Vlad and today I have a very special guest of whom I am a big fan as I have been using Mercury Wallet for quite some time and his name is Nicholas Gregory. He works at Commerce Block, which is a company of which he is the CEO. I'm not entirely sure to which extent he developed you know, by himself, Mercury Wallet, but it's a big deal today in Bitcoin privacy. And it's quite an honor to have this conversation today and find out more. So hello, sir. Hello, Vlad. Thanks. Thanks for having me on So j- just for the record, if there's anything wrong about my introduction and the way that I presented you, let me know. That's fine. Um, there is a team behind Mercury Wallet. I'm one of uh, many people. That's, yeah, just to be clear on that. But yeah, thanks. Right. So when I was last week, last week I was in Prague, right? I was attending a conference and I was speaking with someone about privacy wallets that we have today in Bitcoin. And I came to the topic of Mercury Mm -hmm. and I told him, you know, it's this very cool layer two wallet, which uses state chains and basically exchanges UTXOs with someone else. And they asked me, "Okay, so how does it work? And that's when I got lost. (laughs) I had no idea what to say any further than this. And I've asked Max Hillbrand, who is associated with Wasabi, and his reply was magic. (laughs) So I'm finally happy that I get to find out more about how this works. Cool. Yeah, I I think it's magic as well. So we're on the same page there. But um, yeah, happy to answer any questions or give give a high level intro. Right. So I open Mercury Wallet right now and mm-hmm. I try to do a coin swap. Mm-hmm. What's happening there? So although you know some people call Mercury a privacy wallet, it, it certainly achieves privacy in our view. It's, it's a fundamentally a layer two solution. So you know, obviously the, the first layer two solution in Bitcoin was probably arguably sidechains, if you don't include you know, custodial exchanges and then obviously now you have yeah and side chains is essentially creating a blockchain on top of a blockchain and then you have obviously the more well-known lightning which is a way of kind of like creating these um, payment channels which essentially caches of bitcoin transactions with different members and then you have state coins which are state chains which in our view is the third you know kind of layer two solution for bitcoin essentially it takes a coin which you know as a utxo and it allows, it keeps a, a collection of states of it. Those states represent transitions. So what does this mean? This really takes a UTXO or its private key and allows us to send it around to each other. Uh, and that's it, at a very high level, that's what we're doing. We're sending around private keys. So nothing amazing there, but then where's the problem of sending private keys? If I have a private key and send it to you, how do I forget it? <laughs> How do I not use it? That, that's the issue. And that's where the kind of the magic comes. So there's some, you know, clever cryptography that was done by you know, uh, my co-founder, uh, Dr. Tom Trevethan, uh, around kind of using two-party ECS, EDSA, and NPC to basically create these kind of key shares. So what Mercury Wallet does, when, when you come into Mercury Wallet, you create this kind of like state coin address, which is basically a normal Bitcoin address where you deposit Bitcoin into at that point, what we do is we create two key shares. Uh, one private key is held by the user. One private key is held by the state chain entity, which in our world is Mercury. And essentially, you deposit Bitcoin into that. And that is a special kind of Bitcoin address. But now you, with your private key, can now send that 
private key to other users and you cooperate with Mercury and Mercury will basically delete its copy of that private key. And, but Mercury itself never has custody. That private key on its own can't re retrieve the funds. All it can do is cooperate with the client, which would be yourself, to do a movement. Now, what happens if Mercury was to say vanish, be shut down for whatever reason, or just you know, have hardware or software failure? The client always has what we call is a backup transaction where they can take their funds and rebroadcast their, their, their stake coins to the Bitcoin blockchain. So, you know, that's, it's, it, that's where it's kind of cool. It's kind of like, um, it's non-custodial in that sense, in that, you know, you always have control of your funds. It's not censorship resistant, so you do have to work with the server to transfer your private keys. But if the server was to vanish or, or not allow transfer, you can always retrieve your funds. And that's basically using this kind of key way of like kind of sharing a private key with the server. It's definitely interesting because uh -huh. it's the hot topic right now in Bitcoin privacy. And as we see this coin join wars taking place with Wasabi mm -hmm. and Samurai, there are people who turn to coin swaps with Mercury and they're like, yes, this is the solution, which I think is better and makes more sense because it makes your transactions or UTXOs truly untraceable. But there are also risks involved, right? Like, how do you know you're not going to get a worse UTXO than the one that you have? Yeah, so like, as always, there's pluses and minuses. The, the improvement of a coin swap over a coin join is you don't get this kind of uh, coin join transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain, which, as you know, exchanges can say, hey, if you participated in coin join, you're bad. Or, or, yeah. There isn't any of that on-chain tape, the, which is a good thing, yeah? The negative is that you could end up with a, 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 a nasty coin or a not-so-good coin, and you're, you may be tainted with that history. Um, what we've done to negate that is, you know, we we every time a swap occurs, we attest this to the Bitcoin blockchain. So if you were to ever end up with a coin which is painted or marked as undesirable by one of the chain analysis companies, which I never think makes sense anyway, you could say, well, I participated in the coin swap. It was never mine in the first place. And you know, that's that's that, that, that's the solution in our view. And we still don't know how chain analysis or exchanges are going to do with coin swap coins, because you know we're still quite small. But I but you know, we do have other solutions that we're building to also resolve that. So you potentially you could swap into a lightning channel, etc. But yeah, that's you know the current situation when you compare it to a coin join. And you know, we did a panel, I, I went to a panel at Bitcoin Miami in, in a few weeks ago. And you know, I think coin joins versus coin swaps. I mean, I think there were people there who'd worked at Wasabi and Samurai did, but we, we see them as complementing each other, not necessarily as competition here. Yeah? It's a different type of mechanism to basically get your privacy. It's really nice that you foreshadowed my questions because <laughs> I was about to inquire about whether or not people should choose between coin swaps and coin joins and what are the different trade-offs that you find in the different situations. But yes, you're right about coin exchanges flagging coin joins. It happened to me very mm -hmm. recently with mm -hmm. a Swiss exchange. Basically, they banned my IBAN and they made me you know, submit further documentation. And I was like, forget about it. I've had enough. I get it. But we got to work to make this truly fungible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of misconceptions about privacy that, you know, I think you probably know as well as anyone. The moment you say Bitcoin privacy, people think, well, they think nefarious things, whereas 
all we want is the same privacy as PayPal or using a bank account. And I think that's hopefully that that you know that's going to change. Like, you know, I don't know who uses Mercury. Some of the users do contact me. It seems to be people that are trying to do basic supply chain stuff. Like, you know, maybe buying things from overseas, and they don't necessarily want their suppliers. Like I spoke to one guy in Miami. He does privacy because he buys you know, uh, things for protein shakes, the pounds from protein shakes from offshore companies, like you know, companies in Asia and stuff. He doesn't necessarily want them to know. Yeah, what's on their Bitcoin addresses? And I think that's where we've got to start being realistic. This is not this is just about making Bitcoin work like normal money, which it is. It's when we've all read the white paper, it's it's peer-to-peer cash and that's all privacy is, nothing else. Uh, Mercury is a layer two solution, so it helps Bitcoin achieve a bit more scalability, but you know, it has a privacy angle in that because we're doing this off-chain. Yes, I have yet to get Ruben Thompson on the podcast because he has been working on these state chains for, I guess, five or six years now. And he has um, come he, up he, with... Yeah, he wrote the original paper of, of uh, the state chain concept. We're very different to what he wrote in the paper because his paper uh, was reliant on technology in Bitcoin that hasn't been released yet, things like any Preval, which is part of L2. So yeah, we're very different, but you know, it is the same concept. You know, the movement of private keys, you know, sending around of UTXOs. Uh, it's definitely interesting, and I'm still not sure I understand how it works. But at the same time, it's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I think the best way to call it is virtual open dimes. I, I don't know if you're aware of you know open dimes. You know, these are these basically these USB sticks with Bitcoin in them. We've just made them virtual. That's the way to think of them. So, and the way we do privacy is, you know, a few people could put some of these uh, virtual open dimes into a jar, shake it, take a different out. So long as they're the same denomination, it should work. I like the idea of open dimes. I'm not sure I like mm-hmm. the implementation, which is not truly open source. But <laughs> I do get your point, and at the same time, I'm a big fan of the idea of Bitcoin banknotes or paper mm-hmm. money, which is backed one-to-one or 100% by existing reserves of Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. But I still haven't figured out how this can be done with cryptography instead of custodians that hold these Bitcoins. Well, these safe coins, I mean, funny enough, in the last few days, there's been people talking about it on Twitter. But, you know, these state coins could be just, you know, fixed. They are fixed denominations. So... They do look like fixed Bitcoin notes, if you see what I mean. They're fixed denominations, so you can build up a portfolio or a holding of Bitcoin in a kind of a selection of state coins. And they're fully backed. You know, you can all, the state coin always represents a Bitcoin, which you can see on the Bitcoin blockchain. It's fully transparent. So, and, you know, a few people said, well, could you use state coins to basically do payments and stuff? Because it's all off chain, it's totally private, and you have these fixed denominations. And, um, yeah, maybe, maybe people are going to build that. We, we, we had some, um, we've had some calls this week where people are saying, well, we potentially want to do this in our wallet and build off, off your Mercury servers that are, that are kind of managing the, the, um, the state chains itself. So we'll see, maybe, maybe someone's going to kind of build that in the next few years or so. Yes, so this is a recurring obsession in Bitcoin with scalability. And Mm -hmm. they used to criticize coin joins because they don't scale. As far as I know, with Wasabi 2.0, they figured out a way to make them more scalable with Mm -hmm. more efficient batching. 
And I think with Schnorr, they're going to become even better. But how do coin swaps and what Mercury Wallet does, how does it scale? Is it really feasible on a grander scale or is it just maybe a few dozens or hundreds of people who are willing to pay the fee and are interested in privacy? Well, it is a scalability-safe solution because once you take one of these UTXOs and put them on a stake coin, you can move it around a you know, significant amount of times off-chain. And because they're fixed UTXOs, I mean, we do take a fee, but we only take a fee on, the, on withdrawal from the stake chain. Uh, and in that period, the, um, the UTXOs can be sent as many times as, as people like. It's, it's, we time lock them for three months. That's part of the security protocol. But essentially, there is an opportunity. And this is where, when comparing to, say, coin swaps and a coin join, the way we've implemented it, we can't charge per coin swap. As you know, you know, Wasabi Samurai, they do charge. We couldn't even if we wanted to because these are happening off-chain. So somebody could come into our wallet and leave the coin for you know, auto-swap. We actually have a button that says auto-swap and leave it there for a couple of months and they could have done you know, hundreds, you know, maybe a thousand coin swaps. And you know, that's one of the advantages of taking things off-chain. And that's why a lot of these layer, two, all of the layer two solutions are essentially off-chain. Sidechains is an off-chain protocol. Lightning is and, and, and state chains are as well. So it's it's not the scalability solution for, for Bitcoin, but it's one of them. And you know, in our roadmap, we're, we're looking to do more integration with, with the Lightning network. So I think you know some of the challenges with Lightning could be solved with state coins, and some of our limitations in, in, in the state chain concept could be solved with, with Lightning. So I think they complement each other quite well. That makes a lot of sense. And I find it funny because in Bitcoin, usually monetization is an afterthought. People usually build stuff that they find useful for themselves or for people they know, and they make it work. And after that, they think, okay, so how can we make money off of this? As you said, you cannot collect fees as practically or efficiently as Wasabi or Samurai, who has coordinator fees. But what is Mercury Wallet's you know, plan to become profitable somehow. Yeah, well, we do take a fee at the moment for when people use a stake, correct stake coin. We take a fee on withdrawal, but um, we plan to basically void that fee in, in, in the next release, which, uh, well, the next major release is probably a couple of months away, where we would take a fee up front for the creation of a stake coin, and that would be a lightning fee. So the creation of these stake coins, uh, are, you know, we are going to charge for them because we we have to run servers on the back end. We've got a bit of cryptography. It's quite CPU intensive. So that would be our fee. So, you know, our model, our pricing model is very much as a layer two as opposed to any privacy services we provide. So it's a bit more like using sidechain as opposed to a, a coin join or implementation. I hear a lot of critics saying that this is way too complicated and the average user will not implement any of this or not work with it. I'm not sure if this is a matter of UI or if it's meant to be complicated for the purpose of obtaining privacy, but there are still advocates who want, for example, to implement something like confidential transactions or I'm not sure if rank signatures, but something dealing with ZK, zero knowledge proofs. And do you see any potential for changes to be made into the main chain state of Bitcoin? Because as far as I know, we're going to hard fork sometime in the next 50 years. 
to fix some bug, so they might as well add some privacy. Do you see that happening? Well, I think state chains architecturally are, are one of the more simpler approaches. Maybe I'm talking about the cryptography or talking about you know NPC and that throws people off. But I like to think we've designed the UI from a point of view where it's simple. You create a coin, you deposit, you move it around. And you know, we've worked hard on the UI side of things to do that. Um, in terms of complexity, I think that's a job of the UI. We, we obviously talk a lot about the technology behind because as a trust model, we, you know, we want the Bitcoin community to trust the code. It's open source. You know, in, in this world, people need to trust the, the technology solutions you've made. But I, I think you know, the UI has simplified it. I mean, I struggled to use Wasabi and Samurai. Well, I've never used Samurai because it's you know, mobile. But the early version of Wasabi, I struggled to use. And I'm a, someone who uses Bitcoin more than maybe some <laughs> the average person out there. So I think we, we spent a lot of time improving that. In terms of changes to Bitcoin, I don't see it. <laughs> um, uh, you, you may notice it's very hard to make changes to Bitcoin at the moment. You know, obviously, that's the Segwit rules. The taproot wasn't easy and there's some current drama at the moment. But the change of adding confidential transactions, I, I can't see that happening because there, there are some issues around privacy on the main chain where potentially... Yeah, we, we can't audit the blockchain as much as easy. So, you know, we, and one of the core features of Bitcoin is you know, having 21 million co coins. And if, you know, if we change Bitcoin to a point where we couldn't audit the blockchain to see the 21 million, I, I think that'd be quite controversial. So at the moment, it's not something I see happening, not, not anytime soon, that without significant you know, battle scars. Oh, as far as I know, there's some very smart cryptography in Zcash, which makes auditability a lot easier. I'm not sure if they figured everything mm -hmm. out, but I hope that they do. And we're going to use some sort of zero knowledge proofs. I'm not sure well, what I you mean, think about that. Zero knowledge proofs was already was originally discussed in Bitcoin many years ago. If you, um, if you ever want to do a Google on, on Bitcoin talk, it was called Coin Witness. Um, it was, I think it was proposed by a guy called Greg Maxwell, who's obviously designed a lot of things. I think he designed coin joins and coin swaps. Yeah, I, I think, yeah. So yeah, tends to be a bright guy, has a good idea. So and, but you know, I think if you read the post, which I actually read about six months ago, it came up once. It's significant changes to Bitcoin. Yeah, I, yeah, it's just significant changes, and um, yeah, it's, I don't think it's going to happen in the next five to ten years anyway. So. I agree. It's very difficult. It's always contentious. And the mm -hmm. more of these bankster people I see getting involved in the space, like you said, you're in Miami. And if you look at the main mm -hmm. stage, they were not Bitcoin OGs. They were not the ones who built this space. They were just people who basically thought that Bitcoin was a good idea. And I mean, there's an interesting dynamic. There's an interesting money. dynamic in, in 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 Miami. You had the you know you had the main stage, which was more like a rock concert. <laughs> you had the open source stage in the corner where you know the, I guess the geeks and the nerds were hanging out. But, um, so it was fun. Though. But it's it a strange situation having twenty thousand people there. So yeah, what I mean is that big money might not be in favor of privacy, and also, also I think. The more Bitcoin has big money, the harder it's going to be to change. Uh, you know, to get agreement on what to change it to is, is going to be difficult. I think the word people use about Bitcoin is ossification. Uh, if if Bitcoin goes to $100,000 a coin or a million dollars a coin, I, I struggle to see people getting consensus to change it, honestly. 
I think it will just become ossified and unchangeable. We're not there yet. That's why I think, yeah, getting changes in now would be a good thing. But if it grows, I, I just don't see it ever changing. That's my view. And that's my view from like seeing how software and other parts of you know, the world work. Like, for example, I think IPv6 was proposed in the late 90s. It's still not fully rolled out. <laughs> it, yeah, when something grows so big, when a protocol grows so big, it's very hard to reach consensus to change. Yeah, I see your point there. But let's get back to Mercury Wallet and state chains, <laughs> because I have this curiosity about how this is different from using liquid with confidential transactions and then withdrawing without a peg out via Lightning Network and then closing the Lightning mm -hmm. Channel. Sure. So, I mean, there are there are security and um, there are security differences between liquid. Li liquid you are is arguably custodial. It has a federation, but the federation could cooperate to to uh, not approve uh, a transaction or essentially seize the funds. Uh, Mercury doesn't have that. It's, you know, the, the server alone cannot seize the funds. Even if the Mercury backend had a federation, they could not seize the funds. However, there is a, an attack vector. In theory, Mercury could work with a previous owner of a coin and cooperate to take the funds. But the, the latest owner would have a backout transaction that would prove that's the case. So that's the security mechanism. Um, that, that's the security trade-off. In terms of comparing to confidential transactions, well, confidential transactions, it, it's not total privacy. It just hides the amount. So if I was to send you an X amount of, I think, lightning big, uh, liquid Bitcoin on, 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 on liquid, you would see a transaction between me and you. You just wouldn't see the number. So while that's private and you know definitely an improvement, it's not total privacy. There's still some taint that shows that me and you would have interacted. Whereas with uh, and, you know with Mercury being off chain, the swap would be totally blinded. You wouldn't be able to see what's happened. You know, it'd be, I would enter a swap of say you know x amount of of of, of um, other coins. The swap would happen. There would be no linkability at that point there. Yes, I, I mean, this is useful to understand as both yeah. liquid and state chains are considered to be layer two solutions. I mean, I'm not sure to which extent Blockstream calls liquid a layer two, but it's, it's, it's a layer two. Chain. Yeah, no, it's a layer, it's a layer two. Um, very, it's very, I mean, we, we, we built side chains before we built liquid, um, before we built um, Mercury. So Commerce Block's um, previous business model was taking the same code as, as, as liquid and we modified it for various clients to do kind of more bespoke work. Now that didn't take off, and that's why we ended up going in a different direction. So you know, liquid like uh, side chains is definitely a layer two. It's just it hasn't had the, the kind of the pickup or the um, for whatever reason. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it just hasn't picked up the way you know other layer twos have. Well, I think Lightning is is is, is, is picking up momentum. And, and let's be honest, a lot of people use things like Ethereum or or whatever, wrapped Bitcoin as a layer two for Bitcoin, whether you like that or not, but that's where the volumes are. Yeah, I also like to think that every other, I guess, blockchain that's not Bitcoin is basically converging towards becoming a sidechain for Bitcoin, as they all brag mm -hmm. about integrating wrapped Bitcoin of sorts. Mm -hmm. All the Ethereum clones are dealing with Bitcoin and they brag about mm -hmm. Bitcoin and DeFi and stuff like that. It's just clear what the best form of money is. 
and they're just mm-hmm. becoming side chains with different trade-offs. It's only a matter of time until I guess they give up on their native token and just embrace BTC. I think there's some truth to that. I, I would say Ethereum, Solana, if you look at how much wrapped Bitcoin they are, they, they are Bitcoin sidechains. They probably don't want to admit that, but it does look like that. And yeah, I think there's a reason. There's a lot of reasons why. That's probably another podcast in itself, but that, that's definitely the case. But you know, I, I still think there's a space for native layer two solutions, which are non-custodial, you know, not Coinbase or not an exchange. And I think the leaders at the moment very much lightning. We, we kind of see ourselves as fit, fitting in there. Yes, also about lightning. If you spend about a week on Twitter, you're going to discover that there are people who call lightning very private and they think it's the solution to making Bitcoin private. And then there are the ones who say, no, 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 this is not private at all. You should not advertise lightning as being private because they're going to point out that Chainalysis is into it. And it's actually interesting to me that all of these commerce giants that were on the stage of the Bitcoin Miami conference actually did this after Chainalysis started surveilling the chain. So how do you describe Lightning in terms of privacy? I'm not going to claim to be a bit an expert on Lightning privacy. Um, I think for sending, it's pretty private because it uses onion routing. I think for receiving, I think that becomes less private. But ultimately, I think the privacy of Lightning will be dictated by the size of the network meaning if there's lots of decentralized nodes uh, and writing nodes and, you know, for me to send you a routing payment, if, to send you a payment, if that goes through, if that just goes through one node called, I don't know, Visa or MasterCard, I presume the thing's not going to be very private. If it has a, a, a nice graph of multiple hops, that would. But then I think the debate of whether that can ever be achieved in Lightning is, is still not clear. I mean, Lightning is very complex. And I think, you know, I think the, the consensus in the talks I went to at Miami is it's not that private. And then there needs to be work to be done. And you know, some people like um, believe that if you mix lightning with side chains, you the state chains, you, you you improve its privacy. And we're certainly looking at helping out there and, and, and doing some stuff with lightning. Yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. And mm-hmm. usually also in the case of coin joins, the more participants you have, mm-hmm. the better what do you call them? Anonymity set. Exactly. Anonymity set you get. And also the reason why we consider Bitcoin to be potentially more private than Monero, for example, is that there are fewer users on Monero. So if they're public about their use of Monero, it's easy to discriminate between them and figure out, okay, Mm -hmm. so this must be this guy and he must be transacting with that guy. We cannot see much about their transaction, but we can figure out what they're up to. Mm-hmm. Also, Zcash is much worse specifically because it has these shielded transactions which are in a minority and everything else is open. I think mm-hmm. there was this <laughs> funny moment when someone was able to determine somebody else's shielded Zcash address from his unshielded one. It was mm-hmm. hilarious. Yeah, I don't know much about Zcash, if I'm honest. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Monero. I, I'm not one of these guys, like Bitcoin Max. I think Monero's got some cool stuff. Uh, but you're right. I think the liquidity the issue with Monero is always going to be liquidity and, and how many people are using it. Although it, it it does seem to be getting a lot more use, and its blocks tend to be seems to have a lot more going on. But I, yeah, but it's a different. I think it's a it's a different um, approach from Bitcoin. You know, they they hard fork a lot more often. 
they, they're actively doing things to stay decentralized, which is interesting, but it, it comes with risk. Like their random X approach of keeping mining decentralized is pretty cool, but who knows if it works or not. But I, I think it's great what they're doing. It's, and, you know, I think it's good that we, we do have coins that are trying to do things like that because there's stuff that can be learned. Sometimes I like to joke to my friends that if Bitcoin fails because of people like Michael Saylor and all the others who promote it as something that it's not and the node runners are going to reject new code proposals, I mean, you might just see me putting on a mask and starting the Monero Takeover podcast, I guess. Well, I get confused every time Michael Saylor says Bitcoin's property because... Bitcoin to me is money, <laughs> so uh, if it's not if it is not being used to buy things, what's the point? 
you know. So it's yeah, I you know I think we've got to make sure Bitcoin's being used as money because then it doesn't really have any value in my view. And there was a lot of this talk, so I'm happy that you're in Miami. I guess you're the first. No, you're not the first from this season who went there, but you're first with whom I talk about this, because as far as I could see as an observer who only watched the main stage live stream, what I can get from the context is that they're trying to subtly push Bitcoin as just a network to transact stable coins and basically Mm -hmm. create more demand for the U.S. dollar. And it seems like Alex Gladstein spoke about why people need the dollar. Then there was Michael Saylor, who was like, never sell your Bitcoin, just borrow dollars against it. It's kind of mind-blowing. Are we even replacing the dollar anymore? Or is this just like an intermediary network which helps you transact dollars? It's getting confusing. Yeah, and I think a lot of that depends where you are in the world geographically. You know, I think obviously Bitcoin maybe was an American conference. A lot of the people there are pro the US dollar. But, you know, 80% of the world don't have access to dollars. They don't have access to bank accounts. They, they need something. And that's where I think, you know, at the same time, if you, work, if you look at other projects like Paxful, they've created a total, a whole kind of peer-to-peer ecosystem on Bitcoin, where Bitcoin is the main currency and part of the circular economy. And I think that's where it's interesting. But, you know, for people who live in, you know, Europe or the US, the euro and the dollar kind of works if you ignore inflation. And they're quite happy to keep on using the dollar and the euro and call Bitcoin property and never spend it. But, you know, I want to see Bitcoin being spent. I want it to be circular. Where we need Bitcoin to be spent for transaction fees because it's all right right now where miners are making good money on the Coinbase transactions. But at some point in the future, unless people are using Bitcoin, there's not going to be any... Yeah, there needs to be people paying transaction fees to keep the network secure. And that's where the security comes from. Yeah. Yeah, I very much agree with this. And uh, I find it very interesting that we have use cases which are agreed upon and people say, oh, yes, we should fill the blocks with lightning channel openings and closings. Mm -hmm. And someone actually did the math of how long it would take for every person on the planet to have at least one channel open with somebody else to decentralize the Lightning Network and make it truly you know, work at scale. But then you have people who use it for counterparty or Omni and they get mm-hmm. frowned upon even though they, say they, they pay the same transaction fee. Yeah, and uh, what was the original project that spanned Bitcoin blockchain? Was it Satoshi Dice? Do you remember when there was all that drama because they were spamming the network with all these gambling stuff? And then I think a few years ago, there was a, there was a project that was spamming Bitcoin as well. It was a very block. Do you remember that? But you know, I'm not sure. I, I remember Satoshi dies because it was a yeah. big deal. But yeah. what's the and other one? Very block. If you Google that a few years ago, I think maybe just as much as two years ago, they, they represented a a significant percentage of all Bitcoin transactions, <laughs> and you know, and they were, you know, they were just doing attestations to secure their their, their blockchain, which was you know, kind of like I, I don't I really don't know what it did, but I remember seeing that. But in answer to your sorry, what was your original question? Did I just go off on one? Um, I'm not sure if it was a question. It was more of a remark <laughs> that on one hand we agree that we need fees, but on yeah. On the other hand, we say, oh, no, no, not these fees. We want the other ones. 
Well, it's an open permissionless network. We can't tell people who to use it. We, don't, we, don't, we accept that. And I think Bitcoin as it is today can't have a lightning channel for everyone. <laughs> I don't think it can support you know, 7 billion lightning channels. But I don't think we're there yet. And there, there, there are scalability solutions that would help us share lightning channels. I think, um, okay, so you know, I've said side chains, lightning, and uh, state chains are layer twos. There are people building like the Fenwin stuff, which is arguably, you could call it a layer three, but you know, some of the stuff they're doing could help you know, scale this to another level. So we could get more and more people using or sharing lightning, uh, lightning channels or sharing stakecoin. So I think that there is good research happening in that so that we, you know, we can work with the existing blockchain itself. Yeah, and where I was getting with this is that Bitcoin before being, you know, a store of value, digital gold or whatever narrative they're trying to push, it's software. And basically software. it can be whatever we want it to be. It's whatever it's we use it for. I agree with you. It's just software. It's a better form of money. And the people who got in early, I don't know, I don't know where you got in, but I knew about Bitcoin because people were buying stuff online. It, you know, it, yeah, there were a few guys talking about it going to a million dollars, but I don't think ever, anyone ever believed it. Definitely when I got into it, it was a way of buying certain things online and we'll leave it on there, but that's, that's what it is. And it's a, and it's a more efficient way of doing things online. Yeah, uh, I got in when I deserve, I guess, because I found out very early. I thought it was a bad idea. Then yeah. I was actually assigned a university presentation about Bitcoin. And I didn't buy any because I thought one unit is too expensive for me. It was like my monthly rent at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I, I came back at 3000 and was like, oh, this Bitcoin idea might, might be, you know, worth a shot. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 when I first read about it, I wasn't impressed. I was like, 10 minutes? Who's going to wait in a bar or pub for 10 minutes? This is never going to work. <laughs> so I don't know how much money that cost me not, not buying it then, but then I, I guess it was the community around it. I saw so much, you know, you know, a lot of engineering happening, a lot of good developers were play, doing stuff that I thought was worth. And then the, the penny dropped when I realized it isn't just like some cryptographic coin or some improvement on Amazon gift cards. It's actually a whole network. And when you have a private key, you don't really have a, you have like a key to the network. And that's what I realized. Okay, this is this is cool. Yeah, and back to the idea that Bitcoin is software. I remember it was, I think, last year when there was Udi Wertheimer who started pushing the meme that Bitcoin is digital real estate. And that was also when the US Congress had a special hearing about what Bitcoin mm -hmm. is and they tried to figure out how they should regulate it. And it's all of these narratives that make politicians believe that it's something else other than software. And mm -hmm. I think the best definition that I got for Bitcoin concerns free speech and the fact mm -hmm. that you can also use it for expression. Mm -hmm. The first, the message in the first block is chancellor on the brink of second bailout for banks, which Satoshi Nakamoto put there. It's a political statement, it's free speech. Mm -hmm. And some say it's an NFT for whatever reason, because it's an up return transaction. But yeah. it, it's still pretty cool. And it basically defines the project as nothing else but expression against the establishment. I don't mm -hmm. think it should be regulated as money or as gold or whatever. It's free speech. And I think it should be protected under the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. 
Yeah, and you you talk about regulation. I'm, I actually, well, I'm an ex-banker. Before you hate me, I wrote, I wrote software for banks. And, you know, I started off on the trade floor doing, you know, kind of more derivatives pricing. Then I ended up working for one of the big American banks in risk. And when people say Bitcoin is like, you know, can be used for money laundering, I, I, it really winds me up because Bitcoin is the last thing you want to use for nefarious, you know, activities. It's a public blockchain. You know, for you to do anything dubious with Bitcoin, then, there's a touch point. There's a touch point of going from Bitcoin to fiat or buying a house. Or, that that you can regulate. I'm fine with that. But, you know, when people start saying you need to take the blockchain with KYC addresses, I think, what's the point? You're, you're, you're making it unusable. It's, and the reality is, is, you know, I think we all know about the Silk Road. You know, people were able to take it down. In fact, the, you know, the guys that went after the Silk Road were so good, they got the dodgy FBI agents that were taking their stuff on the side. <laughs> That's how good it was. So maybe it's too good. Maybe, maybe regulators don't like it because you know, people on the side can't take their little bits and bobs. But I mean, that's the reality. It's not great for doing nefarious work. It isn't. Yeah, and money laundering is the concept of taking you know, dirty money and putting it into a physical entity to make it look clean. Bitcoin doesn't help with that. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't add or negate that at all. So I very much agree with yeah. this. And at the same time, I want to introduce you a concept which maybe seems wild or counterintuitive, especially to those who approach Bitcoin from a very ideological point of view. But I came up with... Oh, my, my cat got in the room. Sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> So I came up with this idea when I heard about Wasabi basically blacklisting some addresses. I realized, okay, so now that they tell who can join and actually they tell who cannot join, there's going to mm -hmm. be no excuse for exchanges to refuse coin joins from them. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what kind of blew my mind. Like, okay, so can you turn this into a bridge which takes coins that are out there with unknown, you know, Mm -hmm. origins and put them on mm -hmm. exchanges so you can spend them or mm -hmm. sell them to merchants that are going to sell to exchanges and they're not going to have any kind of problems. And I think this is how a fungible currency should operate. Right now you have the non-KYC coins which get traded between users peer-to-peer -peer on certain mm -hmm. networks. And then you have the ones that have been KYC due to regulations and there's a very large supply of them. And I feel like privacy should be for everyone and not only for that. So it, it shouldn't just be about getting gray area money and getting them on some KYC service. It should also also be about withdrawing from these services like Coinbase, which hired hacking team to surveil mm -hmm. all outgoing transactions. So they even know how you spend it after you withdraw from them. Like there's a legit use case for coin joins for that. And maybe that users who get their coins off from Coinbase want to get on Kraken, but without Kraken knowing that they come from Coinbase. So there should be a mixer for that. You can disagree with yeah. me, but the, the, the samurai people well, no, the thing is that crucified me for saying something like, you know, you, you need a, a, coin, a, coin, a coin join is just uh, an aggregation of transactions. I mean, you could argue, if you look at the Bitcoin blockchain, some of the, you know, obviously when you go to an exchange these days, exchanges have done quite a good job of batching transactions to, to reduce their fees. Uh, some of those batches at times look like a coin join, you know, because they've basically munged everyone's transactions to one, and that's all a coin join is. And, you know, I don't, 
I mean, you know, the, the whole blacklisting thing, obviously, we've, you know, we, it'd be hard for us to implement blacklisting if you're going to ask us because we, 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 we operate in a blinded way. But it doesn't really make sense. It, it just doesn't because all that's going to happen is people are either going to coin join those, they're going to use things like join market or they're going to kind of use the summer, you know, the swapping services like submarine swaps into lightning channels. And, you know, somehow people like Chain Analysis and Elliptic are kind of like these unregulated companies that are selling services to provide a service which no one understands. Yeah. Yeah, that's the reality. No one really understands it. It's like, are the coins chain analysis? That, when, you know, I talk to regulators sometimes. They say, well, have the coins been chain analysis? I go, what does that mean? You know, what it means is it a clean coin? I said, well, I can clean any coins. I can move to like an Electrum wallet and back and I can move it 10 times and then I pass chain analysis, you know? Uh, and I just think that's, that's, you know, kind of the issue we have right now. It's, it's just a lack of understanding from people making these decisions and, yeah, some dubious marketing by people like chain analysis and stuff selling uh, uh, fiction about certain coins. Yeah, I mean, no one knows what chain analysis really do. Yeah, <laughs> why, why is my coin dirty and yours clean? It just doesn't always make sense. And if they were associated with a hack, well, what does that mean? If they've gone through a few DeFi services, or you know, it's just it's just not her, something that's scalable really, in my view. I agree with the scalability issue, but at the mm -hmm. same time, as you mentioned, you can transact your coins back and forth from Electrum into another wallet mm -hmm. to different addresses and you can clean them, but that's costly and that doesn't scale either. No, but you could move them to Lightning if 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 you want to deposit to a block, um, yeah, uh, 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 if you want to deposit into a, an exchange and exchange bounces them, and if they don't freeze them, then you put them into a Lightning channel and then you keep it in the Lightning channel and participate in the Lightning circular economy. So would you say that this is better than maybe using like three different mixers to lose the trace? Well, I would never, well okay, so a mixer is custodial. I would never use one of those. That, that, that's, that's, that's a risk. I, I don't know how chain analysis companies work. I, I don't know what they do under the covers. I just think the model is broken. I mean, I wouldn't recommend, you know, Whatever I recommend, chain analysis could, could change things, but it, it's it's um, it, I'm just saying that the, the whole concept of, of marking coins doesn't work. It's kind of broken, and companies like Wasabi seem to have been forced to do something that doesn't make any logical sense. I mean, I can see some use cases for that, but you, you can also disagree with me. Uh, use, yeah, I mean, you mean like a use case in that you'll have white collar privacy. And also, it's like the bridge, right? If you want to get on exchanges and you don't want to have any problems, you mix with something else. And then you get on the ZK Snacks coordination, the coordinator, and that's how you know that there's no reason for it to get rejected when you get on some KYC service. And that's when you, know that you don't be. But do you know that K do you know that these KYC services would accept them because they've now gone through Wasabi who have a blacklist? Right, but there is no reason for them to reject them anymore, I guess. I don't know. The exchanges I speak to in the UK now they want proof of funds. <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure if <laughs> I mean, that's that's how you know ridiculous it's become. It's an uphill battle. Like you yeah. never know what the requirements are going to become tomorrow. 
And but that's why I think you know, we need to focus on getting the narrative that privacy is, is, is simply a practicality of using crypto. It's not, it's nothing else. It's, you know, it, yeah, imagine, okay, so we are, you know, the company I work for, we, we operate Fiat. Imagine we wanted to pay all our guys in Bitcoin. Uh, it would be very dubious because we'd have to, <laughs> if we kept all our funds in one wallet, how do we you know, keep things private from each other? But, but there's a lot of challenges there. And it's, yeah, privacy is more about making Bitcoin practical for day-to-day use cases. And I think, yeah, exchange, I'm hoping that common sense will prevail and we don't have these conversations anymore. That's probably not going to happen soon. I hope that too. Like, <laughs> this is the final battle, I guess, for Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. I look like a ghost because there is sun, you know, <laughs> blasting through the lens of my camera. But yeah, th- this is everything that we need to do for Bitcoin to win, to make mm-hmm. it really mm-hmm. fungible and make. And for fungibility, we need some degree of privacy. As mm-hmm. I don't think that the future of money should involve a system where you can see how much your money your neighbor has and vice mm-hmm. versa. Absolutely. No, I agree. And I think we're heading there. I think, you know, lightning is going to make it very hard for people to, to not see the stuff as private anyway. And I think, you know, you know the vol- if you look at the volumes on, on, on you know, various services, their layer two is they're growing. They are volumes are slightly growing. It's still small, but they're growing. And I think the more this happens, the more the blockchain analysis companies, what they do just doesn't make sense anymore. And, you know, I'm hoping common sense will prevail. You did mention something about a future update of Mercury Wallet that's coming mm-hmm. in a couple of months. Sure. And it's going to add some refinements in terms of how you collect your fee for the mm-hmm. service. What else is coming? What is on the Mercury Wallet roadmap? Yeah, so at Lightning, it's all at the moment, it's all about Lightning integration. So we want to take a Lightning fee up front, and that would essentially allow our servers to run more blinded, meaning that, you know, yeah, privacy is not a switch where you know we just say we're private. We need to keep on tweaking it, improving it. But essentially, by taking a lightning fee up front, and yeah, you know, we you know we would be able to have show non no on chain taint. So as far as Mercury is concerned, it would not ever see a Bitcoin address. It would just issue a state coin, which would have a state coin address, but we would never see the Bitcoin address associated with it. And I think once we get that working, we can start being a lot more creative with how we integrate with Lightning. And yeah, that's yeah, it's our medium, you know, short to medium roadmap. Um, yeah, and we're also looking at making the um, the stakecoins themselves more resemble like stakecoin bills, uh, and maybe looking at how people could use stakecoins for payment. But we, we we need to do some like uh, internal kind of workshops for that. But that, that I think you know. That, that that's definitely on the road. That lightning integration is is, is, is is where we're at. Are there any other Bitcoin projects for privacy that you find interesting? Um, I'm not sure I'd say it's for privacy, but it's probably a privacy element. But the, the only other project I spend a, a lot of time looking at is the Fediment stuff, which is building these kind of um, e-cash type domain um, mints. Um, they have a Telegram group. They're, they're using blinded uh, signatures, which is something we're, we're looking at, which is a way of like kind of anonymously signing a transaction. And they're doing some interesting stuff, and I think it's maybe something we could integrate with in the future. But yeah, I think yeah, that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, and um, yeah, I don't, the team, I, I, can't, I don't know the rest of the guy's name, but yeah, 
that they've made noise recently. I think that's quite interesting. And I see that as not a layer two, that's a layer three. So and that, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard mm -hmm. about these. I don't know how to explain them either. They are kind of like side chains, if you ask me. Um, God, I'm not the best guy to talk about it, but essentially they build this kind of like collective, well, there's two things to it. They, they build this collective group where they have a federation of members and they issue these kind of actual main tokens. So they basically issue a token, but then that token represents a bit of Bitcoin. So it's totally off chain. And, then, and, and and that's really, yeah, so it kind of sits on top of layer twos and they connect. I think the, the implementation of Fedimint is going to connect to Lightning. So the Federation itself would man, manage a Lightning channel, a collection of Lightning channels, and that's a way of people grouping together. And, you know, potentially it's something interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of research and work to be done. And, and it's something we're looking at as well. Maybe we, we would issue like a, a kind of like a token as well that represents a bit of a state coin. So, and I think that would be a way for us to get more scalability. So I think that's, that's interesting research. Right. I know that when it comes to Bitcoin privacy, you have three major elements, which are network, network level, ah, I can mm -hmm. speak, network level privacy. You have receiver's privacy and sender's privacy. And mm -hmm. I think that the one that we are trying to solve the most is sender's privacy. Mm -hmm. As with receiving, you can always generate a different address. And as long as mm -hmm. nobody else knows your XPUB, you have a reasonable amount of privacy that's available to you. But what about network level privacy? What do you recommend people to use? I mean, by default, we, we use Tor, um, the wallet as a Tor interface. Uh, in our features list, we plan to give people the option to switch to I2P. There's, uh, in our own internal testing, I2P is kind of, I wouldn't say faster, it may, may even be slower than talk, but the performance is more consistent. So even though if you were to do like a ping, it may be 10% slower, it tends to have a more consistent performance. And, you know, that's, that's where we're looking. But, you know, I2P may be a better solution at all right now because not many people are using it. If it if it had the same volume as Tor, maybe it'd have some of the same challenges. But yeah, internally we're always looking at those two things. But like you know, we haven't looked at any of the um, the other network stuff like Dandelion or stuff. We haven't really paid attention. And a lot a lot of the work we did is actually optimizing the way we use Tor. And this is one of the issues of building. You know, well. A lot of layer twos use Tor. So, you know, obviously, um, Samurai Wasabi used Tor. Liquid actually uses Tor. And it's a very hard environment to, to work on. I mean, I'm not going to be, and I'm not knocking the Tor guys because it's they're, they're fixing a hard problem anyway. But it, it does make UI challenges a lot you know, more complex. And one of the first things we added uh, after we went into Alpha, we have a little icon on the top of our wallet, which is a Tor onion. So you can see all the connections that Tor makes. And if you're not happy, you can reset it. And <laughs> that was really out of just the, the challenges of working using Tor. Yes, Tor seems to have gained a lot of popularity. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I've had a few months ago on the show, Harry Halpin from NIM. Mm -hmm. Do you know anything right. about NIM and what do you think about it? I, I don't know enough to comment. I, yeah, I, I know about them, but I haven't really gone into them, to be honest. Okay. What about VPNs? There's always this debate whether or not you should use a VPN. Should you 
use a VPN and Tor on top? It depends what you're doing. I mean, I I, I use a VPN because I'm fed up of being spammed by junk and you know my ISP knowing anything about me. But I don't necessarily trust it implicitly, you know. And the more high, hardcore people I use, I know they build a VPN on top of a VPN. They could piggyback. Um, you know, Mercury obviously uses Tor by the covers, even if I have a VPN. But sometimes it does make it harder to participate in a swap. You know, the more layering you do, the slower and the more unreliable the network is. Um, and sometimes I can't. Sometimes if Tor is having issues, I can't use a VPN anyway with Mercury. So that necessarily needs to factor in. Yeah, that's... Sorry, if I sorry, sorry if I didn't really answer your question, but that's the, the reality of where we are. That's usually a trade-off when you get privacy. Mm -hmm. You have to lower the speed. Do you mm -hmm. think it has to be this way? Or do you think we can have more elegant designs? I, I would like to see a world where we have more mesh networks. And there's definitely some interesting research being done with that. But yeah, I would like us to... I mean, look, the internet is very centralized. And, you know, I think more mesh type networks, you know, getting getting out of like, you know, hosting centers, you know, people running their own nodes. I think that's, that's where I, I think is interesting. There's a lot of interesting research going on. Stuff that I've actually started paying more attention because of Mercury, because you, you look at like design ideas and how you can make Mercury a bit more distributed as well. You know? So I think that's definitely increasing, but it's not easy as well because the bandwidth constraints right now are quite huge. So, and, you know, we, we talked at the beginning of the show about Mercury does some magic. That magic is, you know, complex cryptography, which is quite CPU intensive, and that becomes a lot harder to do on a network here, where you know, latency is a challenge. Something else that I want to ask you right now concerns mm -hmm. this whole debate that we're having in Bitcoin, which concerns mm -hmm. BIP 119 for CTV, mm -hmm. which I guess stands for Check Template Verify. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not sure if you're familiar with the code. If you are, I would be happy if you commented. But I feel like this is also a political struggle as mm -hmm. this is about whether or not proposals come from Bitcoin Core and the core developers or can also come from outside. And who's going to maintain this new opcode? And, you know, there are lots of discussions that we are having about basically the politics of doing it and not necessarily the content of the code mm -hmm. yeah well first of all I, I don't know much about the code i haven't looked at it um, i know about covenants because i looked at covenants previously because there are some confidence opt codes in in in, in, in liquid sidechain called i think checksig from hash um i'm i'm really answering on the fence I, I think it's a positive thing what jeremy rubin's done being not necessarily a bitcoin core guy but building an implementation is clearly and I think creativity in the space is important. We, we need people to challenge the status quo, build new stuff. And I, I'm not necessarily, I don't really like some of the narrative on Twitter that's saying this is an attack on Bitcoin. This is not. This is a guy who, who's clearly smart, who's making a proposal. I think the reality is, is that there just hasn't been enough understanding of what he's done. And there's not really a strong desire to build covenants into Bitcoin now. I mean, I think that's the reality of it. And But I, yeah, I don't, I think hopefully what will come out of this is that kind of scope will change and that people like, you know, outsiders or maybe guys that aren't necessarily, bit, I don't even know what Bitcoin core dev is, <laughs> but, you know, someone that's not a lead maintainer of the code base is able to make proposals because I, I do think we need creativity in this space because 
you know, if Bitcoin does make a hundred grand, a million dollars, it's going to ossify. So now is the chance where we can make changes. I mean, from a personal point of view, I don't, you know, obviously I'm, my, when I say personal, from a Mercury wallet point of view, we would like to see um, the L2 stuff be proposed with any prev out because that would, you know, make the way we build state chains a lot easier. And I think that's a simpler change than CTV. And because of all the noise in the last few days, people have asked us, like, you know, would you help with um, doing the any prev out stuff? And we would. But that's because uh, some of the trade offs in the way we built state chains are because of a lack of L2. Like, you know, we, we have this thing called a decrementing time lock. So I think I told you a state chain is valid, a state coin is valid for three months. Every time we do a transfer, it kind of, we kind of reduce that time with the uh, any prev out stuff that 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 problem goes away because we're able to update a, an existing bitcoin transaction and the lightning guys want that as well so that's where we would like what we would like to see happen so it's definitely interesting to see different approaches mm -hmm. to this and mm -hmm. opinions and i think that the guys who say that BIP 119 going into speedy trial is an attack on Bitcoin are the same ones who are buying into the digital gold narrative. Mm -hmm. And I, I even see people walking back on SegWit nowadays saying that it was a big mistake and it should have never happened, which I disagree. Yeah, I think that's rubbish. I think SegWit was, um, yeah, we, we, Lightning would be two years further behind than where it was right now, or maybe more without SegWit. And, and SegWit has, look, whether you like it or not, Bitcoin transaction fees are very low. And that's because a lot of people are using SegWit. And uh, yeah, we've, we've got to evolve the protocol where we can. And we've got, we can't, you know, technology moves forward. It doesn't go backwards. We, you know, we need to, you know, prove Bitcoin before it becomes too big. Yeah. And in your definition, too big means has too much fiat money invested into it, which is that... <laughs> People don't want to change anything at all. Well, okay. So if Bitcoin hits the market cap of gold, you know, can you imagine trying to make a change to that code base? <laughs> it's going to be very political, very difficult. But we're not so, too far away from that. And because of the fork wars of 2017, changes are quite hard to do. If you saw Taproot, which was you know, nothing major change, it was quite, you know, there was a lot of debate for about six months. So I think if, yeah, the bigger we are, the more eyes we have on us and the more risk there is of changing a, a network. And there are still people who regret activating Taproot via speedy trial because now it opened the floodgate for, you know, proposing more soft forks and going into speedy trial with them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've always taken a position to just build with the way Bitcoin is right now. So, yeah, when when um, when yes, we we built state chains based on, on the way the stack operates, and um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't really have much to add on that. So, no, it's interesting that <laughs> my point of view with this is that I got into Bitcoin while trying to escape politics because that's what i studied in my previous life and now i end up discovering the exact same but under a different form you, you stick a few people in a room you've got politics and, uh, and uh, yeah look, i i'm yeah i got into bitcoin um 
but all my previous open source projects now that I ever played with, they were all run by benevolent dictators. <laughs> Whether that's Linux with Linus Torvald or I was doing a lot of Java work, there was a lot of Java projects. They tended to have dictators. Now, Bitcoin doesn't have a dictator, which is its strength. But that's why I think the open source nature means it's very political. But, you know, ossification is a strength as well, you know. At least, you know, for people like us building Mercury Wallet, we, we, we know the Bitcoin blockchain, the consensus rules is not going to change very often. And if it does change, they do respect backward compatibility. So it does make it easier for people like us to build on, the, on, on Bitcoin. So, whereas if it was a blockchain, say like, I don't know, I won't badmouth other blockchains, but you know, where the rules are being changed all the time, where they're doing new releases all the time, it'd be very hard for us to do anything. No, I think you mean Ethereum because that's the one where they do hard forks, you know, yeah. with very short time spans. But it's yeah. not like they have too many nodes anyway. So, I guess it's becoming easier as. It grows and gets more bloated. Yeah. yeah, but that would be hard. That would be very hard. So there, there are strengths to ossification, though. And again, this is the one of the few open source projects that doesn't have a benevolent dictator, which is a good thing in a way. So. Yes, and I very much agree with some of your input right here, and I appreciate it. I feel like this is not being discussed enough, and most mm -hmm. podcasts are just positivist and they're like yes we're bullish we're going to the moon this is how about we talk about this michael sailor tweet and announcement and how much bitcoin this company bought and this is you know the greatest extent to which they discuss what's going on but that's why i love having developers on the show as you guys are real and i i enjoyed this space from this perspective as you said there is no dictator to mm -hmm. establish what our priorities are, which means that there's a constant struggle to figure out where we are heading with Bitcoin, what it is and mm -hmm. what we're going to do next. Are we going to ossify it yet or do we still need to add stuff to basically, I don't think it's going to get changed, but it's going to become more efficient for certain mm -hmm. use cases. Mm -hmm. No, these I mean, cases are not imposed by anyone. It's whatever we choose to use it as. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think we'll have a few more changes, but probably nothing major. And I hope people like Jeremy are not in the... We need people... I mean, I don't, I don't really know his background. I don't really know who he is. But we do need people like him who are clearly smart to come and be creative and, and challenge the narrative and build things that maybe other people haven't thought about because that, that, that's a healthy ecosystem. I've heard very involved people calling Jeremy basically the CIA agent who's trying to infiltrate <laughs> and destroy this fragile consensus that we are having with a proposal that seems very tame, but at the same time wants to open Pandora's box and destroy Bitcoin in the long term with more proposals that are going to get into speedy trial. But this comes from someone who's actually the CEO of a Bitcoin company. I'm not going to see which one. But yeah, I don't we had that, a private but, uh, conversation about it, and he was very paranoid about it. I'm sure that Michael Saylor is the CIA, but that's only my, <laughs> you know, my share of craziness. Yeah. He probably has relationships with the CIA, <laughs> being a, a you know American billionaire. I think that's uh, <laughs> he probably knows the CIA better than me and you do. Put that way, <laughs> it's very likely that yeah. So even if you look at the, this is you know deeper down the rabbit hole because if you look at where the MicroStrategy HQ is, 
and where the Seattle CIA HQ is, that's like 30 minutes of driving. Yeah. So <laughs> I think I think Jeremy's a smart engineer who's thought of something and wants to push it. And I think I, I mean, it looks like he just didn't get momentum because people he couldn't get the right to, you know Bitcoin core guys to look at it because I guess not many people are talking about covenants. That's what it seems. But if there's one positive, people are talking about covenants now. <laughs> he has put it back on the map. But I think you have to ignore some of the silliness on Twitter and mailing lists and stuff. Yeah, and what's the difference? I had this conversation today. What's the difference between covenants and smart contracts? And why are they not advertised as smart contracts? And in my understanding, smart contract uh, smart contracts also have recursive payments. So according to an oracle, you decide that on this specific moment, which repeats itself every now and then, you're going to send mm -hmm. this amount of a currency. And I don't think you find that in covenants, or am I wrong? I don't know. I mean, my experience of covenants is looking for the, is, is using liquid, where you have this check, um, check, um, sig hash thing, where you basically are able to broadcast um, a value, and uh, there's a conditional spend on that. The recursive covenants, I, I haven't looked at. I try to have a very. I'm sure you. I'm sure people call you want you to be an expert on everything, but I guess with Mercury, we try and have a very vertical view of the way we achieve like state chains, and not necessarily look at you know, other things or try and be an expert on everything, which I think helps us. Uh, I appreciate this, <laughs> the honesty and everything else. Yeah. And the fact that you basically approach topics that may have been outside of your comfort zone, but that's what this podcast is about, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I, I have a couple of questions that you received <laughs> from fans of the show. And let yeah. me read them. One of them concerns... Are you Satoshi Nakamoto? Um, no. I mean, sounds like something that Satoshi would say. Um, well, so, someone wrote an article which had about five views <laughs> saying I was Satoshi, and it was based on the fact that I'm British and that I'm into martial arts. And Satoshi is an Asian-sounding name, and that kind of like made it that I could have been Satoshi. But <laughs> I, know, I think that's what that, that comment came out of. But no, uh, I'm not a cryptographer. If anyone who knows the original code base of Satoshi knows that it was written by someone who's probably more of a cryptographer than a software engineer, and that clearly isn't me. So. Uh, I'm more into the Greg Maxwell sock puppetry boat. So <laughs> Greg Maxwell is Satoshi, if anyone. But any, anyway... This was a question by Peter Lane, just mm -hmm. to give him credit for it. Emmanuel Bitstein wants to know what are general privacy hacks that you're applying that are easy to integrate into one's life? No, I, I mean, I don't use 2FA. I tend to keep my old mobile phones and recondition them into 2FA devices. I'm a big fan of YubiKeys these days. So where I need to, you know, single sign-in stuff, I try and use a YubiKey and then keep a multiple of those backups. And just things like that. Not, not, yeah, a lot of people think because I'm involved with Mercury, I'm a big privacy guru. I, I'm not. I just want Bitcoin to work like like PayPal does, private. But and you know, generally now because of the amount of data harvesting that goes on, I, I'm very cautious about what I sign up to <laughs> when I publish information. I think that's just the way the world's going. And you know, tend to yeah, live, live you know, very much conservative on that stuff. Yes, and uh, you mentioned YubiKeys. 
I think everyone mm-hmm. listening to this podcast has a Trezor in their drawer. That one mm-hmm. can also be used as your 2FA device. You mm-hmm. can configure it to authenticate passwords. So I guess if you don't want to buy a new device and I guess you're not traveling with it, it's perfectly fine. You can use it mm-hmm. to sign your passwords, not sign, mm-hmm. authenticate. Yeah. That's the right word for it. And also have two questions from Roxana Nasoy, who is actually mm-hmm. the one who set up this interview and I'm grateful to her. Mm-hmm. So first of all, she wants to know how does BJJ, which I guess is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and martial arts philosophy, go with Bitcoin philosophy? Um, I think, you know, okay, so there's a big difference between BJJ uh, doing martial arts. And, you know, it's for me, it's a way of living a stoic lifestyle, you know, being focused on minimalism. I think Bitcoin lends you to be a bit more like that. You know, you tend to like want less, but, you know, accumulate Bitcoin and, you know, reject a lot of materialistic assumptions. And I think that's where maybe the relationship for me becomes. And I think it keeps your ego in check, you know. You know, Bitcoin's very complex. There's a lot of facets, but there's always someone smarter than you, brighter than you. <laughs> when you trade martial arts, you've always got the same challenges there. It keeps you humble. I did not consider this. I know people who go to the gym and work out for the same purpose, but martial arts, I guess, gets a bad stigma, just like privacy, because... But there's a, there's a, but there's a big difference between a fighter and someone who trains martial arts. Martial arts is a way of you know, looking after your body, being meditation. You know, it's not going out to the local bar and getting to a punch up. And that's why I have to explain to people, a bit like the way I have to explain you know, privacy. <laughs> privacy is not about doing something nefarious. It's just about common sense of how money should be used. Yeah, well, well, I wouldn't want to get into a fight with you either, so <laughs> take that as you will. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> now that I know you're into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, no, I'm not touching this. I never said I was good at it, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> sure, <laughs> sounds like something legit that someone with a black belt would say. Okay. And cool. there's another question from Roxana, and I guess you touched upon this, but I guess it's a good way to wrap it up. So what makes state chains a solid layer two solution on Bitcoin next to Lightning and side chains? I, I think it's more non-custodial than, than side chains, uh, more scalable than side chains. Lightning, it pairs up. The, the challenge with Lightning is Lightning is very liquidity efficient. State chains are, don't have that issue. State chains are fixed denominations and, you can, uh, and rest Lightning is non-fixed. So... As a, as a partner to Lightning, I think it fits in very well. And I hope, yeah, sometimes maybe at Bitcoin Manly, people talked about uh, the Bitcoin layer twos. They only mentioned sidechains and Lightning. I think state chain should be you know, the free, one of the threesomes there. And um, I think that's happening thanks to you know, people like you inviting me on your show. So. Yes. So, Nicholas Gregory, this was a really great interview. I'm happy that we have done it. And there's a lot of interesting stuff to be learned from it. And I'm proud that I got to get this out of you. So how can people follow you and follow the Mercury Wallet project? Yeah, Mercury Wallet, easy to find, mercurywallet.com. Um, I'm on Twitter, Gregory underscore Nico. Oh, I, I think I call the police on you with this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. I'm on uh, yeah, the police 
Yeah, just went by. Yeah, Gregory underscore Nico. I don't really tweet that much. Probably tweet even less now that uh, someone who's big into AI and data harvesting has bought Twitter. But um, but yeah, um, easy. To, yeah, go to mercury.audit.com. We're quite active on GitHub there. Okay, so that's really good to know because we're gonna keep on paying attention to what Mercury Wallet is doing as it's a very mm -hmm. useful privacy tool. Thank you very much for being part of the show. And I look forward to having you once again to discuss what else gets released in Mercury Wallet. And also, I'm going to send you one of my magazines so you figure out what I'm into and how you're most likely going to be included in the next release next year. Great. Sounds good. and hard money. There is no fiat on-ramp or off-ramp and you get to diversify your Bitcoin portfolio into gold or silver when you sense that a bearish moment is coming. Also, you can instantly trade your gold for Bitcoin to buy the dip. And if you're into gold custody, Voltoro can also send you the gold that you own directly from their insured Swiss vaulting facilities. Voltoro was launched in the aftermath of the Mt. Gox hack. So since 2015, they have published monthly glass books to prove that they own all the gold reserves and all of their customers' money. Sign up today by going to voltoro.com slash Bitcoin Takeover. Keep in mind that this is not financial advice and you are responsible for your own decisions. Wasabi Wallet is the perfect Bitcoin privacy wallet. It's free, it's open source, it's available on Windows, macOS, and Linux, and it offers groundbreaking Chamian coin joins, which makes your Bitcoin. Even if you do not use the coin join feature, you still benefit from a trustless experience with block filters, a hidden IP address via Tor, and easy management of your wallet outputs. After you deal with KYC exchanges like Coinbase, like Kraken, Binance, Gemini, or Bitfinex, you can remove the association between your identity and your Bitcoin address by performing a few rounds of coin joins. To find out more about the privacy benefits and limitations of coin joins, listen to Bitcoin Takeover Podcast Season 6, Episode 6 with Max Hillbrand. And if you want to give Wasabi a try, go to wasabiwallet.io and download the wallet for free. Wasabi Wallet, a Bitcoin privacy wallet for the citadels.